Hey guys, welcome on the Blockworks Macro YouTube channel. This is Alf speaking and today's guest is a guy who's running a volatility arbitrage hedge fund. If you're scared by now, don't be because Chris is an amazing guy and he's going to break it down for you. Hey Chris, how are you doing? Good, good, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really, uh, really appreciate it. So Chris is the co-CIO of the Embers Group, which in, indeed runs, amongst other things, volatility arbitrage hedge funds. So Chris, um, why don't you try and explain to the BlockWorks audience what the heck is a volatility arbitrage hedge fund, just as an introduction? Yeah, yeah, I know. it's It sounds really complex, but I, I promise it's not as complex as it sounds. You know, so what, what we do for investors is we're really uh, a hedge fund that protects against market crashes, right? So let's say uh, an investor has their investments in equities and, and all sorts of areas, but they're looking to protect against a, a really fast market crash, right? They'll come uh -huh. to a hedge fund like ours. And what we really look to do is that during normal environments, you know, our book is aiming to, to stay flat or probably a little bit of negative carry, but, uh, but during times where the market is having some sort of a big crash, we're looking to return a, a very large percentage return, right? So, so we serve as like a protectionary hedge for clients that are seeking a, a different way to hedge their portfolio outside of the whole like, you know, bonds are gonna gonna protect an equity portfolio or gold is gonna protect an equity portfolio. It's a very very different thing. Yeah. So. Effectively, you are this convex payoff instrument that is supposed to save the day when everything else isn't working to try and, and simplify a bit the nature of your hedge fund. So I think it's interesting for the BlockWorks audience to understand how do you actually do that? What strategies do you deploy to make sure you're able to deliver those returns? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of it is in the listed derivative side on the equity space, right? So trading a lot of... Uh, one to three month fall, specifically tails, right? So way far out the money options, uh, which we're constantly trading. Uh, and to offset that, we trade a lot of intraday flow. So we're doing things that are more so flow based uh, to offset the bleed. But then in, in order to have that sort of convex payout, we're buying a lot of very, what, what we would consider cheap tails uh, at opportunistic times when the market gives it to us. Yeah. That's a fair assessment. So Chris, if you look at uh, volatility surfaces today, let's talk about the equity market for a second, right? I think that's the most familiar instrument for everybody. Let's specifically refer to the S&P 500. And if you look at what's going on out there, what do you think are the most palatable opportunities out there for somebody who wants to hedge today downside risks? And why do you think that is the case? So what's really interesting about the uh, the equity vol right now is if you're looking from a cross asset standpoint, you're seeing that, well, rates vol is moving, FX vol is moving, uh, vol across every landscape is moving except for the equity space. So when you think about like the VIX, which is a measure of S&P vol, that's printing like a, a 26, right? So that's implying about 1.62% daily move in the S&P. Which yeah. when you when you break it down, it's actually crazy because it's not really quite reflective of what we've seen in the equity space, right? We've seen the equity market kind of trend on down, but it doesn't really feel like there's some sort of like big fear going on. So if you take a look at the VVIX, right, which is just a it's it's just a measure of of volatile, and, and and it's a little bit of a general naive way of looking at volatile. 
But the same way the VIX measures S&P vol, VVIX measures VIX volatility. And the, the really interesting thing about this, and I posted it on my Twitter, is that the VVIX is actually lower today than it was in January of 2020, right? That was prior to COVID. So what it's showing you is that like vol of vol, you know, that reach for convexity is still not there at all. And if you look from a from a single stock perspective and you start pricing in tails on single stocks, you'll also see that some of the, the, the local vols in single stock land are only trading three to four vol points above where they were trading in January of 2020, which is just crazy, right? One month, one month skew is just so suppressed. So I think what's happening is like the market is dismissing this uh, this potential for a, a crash. The market is, is is telling you that look, there is not really this 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 crash fear that's going on. Which you know who knows, right? Maybe it may be right. I think our view is a little bit different. But I think the most interesting thing as to what has caused that is a few factors. One is that going into this year. A lot of people knew that markets were were inflation was here, right? Everybody was like, okay, we have to hedge against inflation. You know, how are we going to do that? So a lot of people thought about the CTA space, right? Which is just commodity trend following. And they allocated to that. And that did a good job in the first two quarters of protecting against uh, you know, an equal weighted portfolio. So what ended up happening was that CTAs were performing, and you had a lot of people who didn't really need to buy volatility because their portfolios were covered from the inflation hedges, right? So when you look at the way how vol has reacted from November and December, the relative strength, and you call this spot vol beta, and and it just moved, all it means is the way how the underlying moves, the reaction that volatility will have, right? So what you notice is that as you prolong throughout February, March, April, May, these moves got lower and lower, right? So volatility kept getting more and more suppressed. And specifically over the last few weeks, we've been seeing in the single name stocks, a lot of people selling volatility, uh, downside puts and and areas that that seem very, quote unquote, rich. Um, And a part of this is also because of the issuance of the structured products market. So another thing that I tweeted was, the growth of the structured products market within the first half of this year has contributed to suppress vol on the index level. So I think what's really, really interesting is that when you look at relative to what's transpiring in the equity space, equity vols are still not truly reflecting that fear. So if you wanted to go out and hedge, the opportunity to hedge is still there. It's not removed itself at all. It's It still exists in the equity space. But Chris, so you said so many relevant stuff here. The two most important thing is trying to decompose, I think, why vol has not picked up in the face of such drawdowns across asset classes. And you basically named two phenomenon. The first is a macro one. The second one is a flow or option market structuring sort of uh, rationale behind. So let's try to unpack those. The first one is the macro one. So I've been noticing basically that the front end of the volatility curve in, in the S&P 500, for instance, that's the implied vol there, especially front end, is basically lower than realized vol in certain cases, which is 
quite rare as, as, a, as a setup, right? Normally implied volatility is higher than realized volatility because there is a certain premium that people want to attach to be able to buy that insurance, right? Right now we get the opposite going on and we get this vault very suppressed, again, especially against the realized moves we are seeing on the downside. So if you have to try to explain it from a macro perspective, why would you think that is the case still? Again, I think from a macro perspective, you know, what's what's happened is that a lot of the hedges have been in the CTA stuff. So when you, when you think about the majority of or the reason why people will buy volatility or right, sophisticated yeah. investors like the investors that come to us are investing in us because what they believe is that when markets go down, you know, generally volatility will go up. So volatility, the, the main usage for the, I would say, sophisticated investors is to use it as a hedge. Um, but from this standpoint, what you saw was that the, the macro landscape has opened up another area to hedge. So people said, hey, instead of using vol, I'm going to go and I'm going to use CTA hedges. And that's why you're seeing that although, you know, uh, realized vol is, is moving, implieds are not moving because people are not getting forced to have that sort of hedging. And I think a lot of people think that, well, OK, is this the new environment? But that's that's not really true. Right. These are ju it's just a byproduct of how markets work. Right. Markets function like ecosystems where there's times where this strategy will work and there's times where that strategy will work. Right. And, and you know, when you see the flock move, it's almost better to be thinking about the, the other area. So, yeah, especially from, you know, when talking about, uh, you know, macro view, if you do believe that you're going into a recession here in the U.S., if that is the belief, well, then you have to factor in the fact that commodities may not perform as well as they did during the first half of the year. And this is where this becomes a problem for investors who are interested in CTAs, because if commodities are not performing, they're not going to work as a hedge for your portfolio. And that's kind of the, the, the open door for vault, because that's when I think you'll see people start saying, OK, commodities are not really performing, you know, the market's sliding lower. And I need to get hedges on. I need to be buyers of volatility. Very smart way to look at things, Chris. The other thing I would add from my perspective is that commodities were kind of the perfect hedge uh, with hindsight because they also carry positively, most of them. So effectively, you could buy something that was protecting the downside or being negatively correlated to about anything else. So basically, anything else was losing value in your traditional portfolio, bonds and stocks, for example, were doing that. At the same time, you had an asset which was making money, so protecting your downside effectively there and being negatively correlated and carrying positive in most cases. So people were like, whoa, this is cool. But now when you get a drawdown of 25% in copper, let's take just one industrial metal, for example, it just had a drawdown of 25% in a month, which I, I think I, I pulled down a 30-year monthly rolling return history of copper. Over 30 years, 7,500 observations, 0.45% of the times copper had a drawdown like the one we experience right now. So basically never, barring 2008, it never happened. So it might have some people rethink that. Do you think this could be a reason why people start looking finally at your products to hedge their, their drawdowns in portfolios? Or do you think they're going to continue looking at commodities going forward? No, I think there is a real chance uh, for investors to see that you can't always have a perfect fit, right? So this view that like CTAs will protect against everything is not true, right? CTAs as a whole 
you know, can protect against a, a slide down in markets. But these fast market crashes, they don't really do a great job of protecting against. And, and I agree with, with, with what you're saying, right? I, I think that for the first half of the year, that worked well. But I think, you know, if you're going into, into the second half of the year and you're expecting CTAs to perform just as well as they did, I, I don't know if that's the case, right? And, and specifically in the U.S., you can see already that there is governmental intervention that's that's starting to happen, right? You're hearing about the Biden administration talking about, well, you know, look at look at what commodity prices are doing. How do we, you know, how do we handle that? You know, what what's going on with gas, right? The, oh, Biden is tweeting yeah. all sorts of like, you know, crazy things. I'm not going to get into the political side of things, right? But but the reality is that, you know, this view, if you have an equal weighted portfolio, that CTAs are going to continue to perform, right? in line with the way how equities are sliding lower to protect the portfolio, I don't think that that's the case. And and I agree. You know, I think there's a lot of other vol guys that are out there that are kind of with the same view that it's like, this could be a really opportunistic time for volatility because what people are are thinking is that, well, the market isn't going to slide much lower. Everybody has this mentality, right? Where it's like, People are thinking like, you know, the, the market, the market is not really going to drop to, to 2,500 or, or 2,000. That's that's like impossible. But what, what we're saying is that the chances of that open up whenever when the whole world is thinking with that same sort of view. So we don't really think that commodities will still protect a portfolio with the same type of emphasis that it did during the first half of the year. And, and from a generalized standpoint, and I know I'm being super, super general here, but like the sentiment feels like a lot of market participants are down about 10%. It feels like when, when you go out and you talk to people and you talk to RAs and, and, and other funds, it feels like everybody's like, all right, well, you know, the S&P was down 20%. We're only down 10%. That's okay. Because commodities, you know, offset some of the losses and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I think it starts becoming a problem if the market slides lower and then people are like, "Whoa, wait, hold on. I'm down 20% and then the hedges are not working. The commodity hedges are not working." That's where you get that that spike in volatility, I would say. Fair point. And Chris, the other one you mentioned is um a more flow-driven or market construction-driven reason why implied vol is still not bid despite having these drawdowns in equities, which is the issuance of structured products. So can you explain to us what does that exactly mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So my background uh, is actually on the exotics desk. I spent uh, some time uh, on BMO's exotics desk um, and the listed derivative side as well. And, you know, I have a good, uh, a good understanding as to how uh, dealers will hedge their exposure. So what ends up happening uh, for most of these type of exotic structures is that dealers will issue them, right? And, and actually, let, let me take a step back and, and explain why this the, it, it's been growing for this year. So with things like auto callables, right, what, what you'll end up having is that clients will look for a certain yield. So with the fact that rates are going higher, it's almost like synthetically that auto callable market will start giving you a higher rate than they would generally have given you, right? So what ends up happening is you have you, you pitch this to a client that will say, hey, would you like to collect maybe 15, 17 percent yield this year as long as the top three stocks don't fall? And they'll say, yeah, cool. Sign me up. 
So a lot of people are really interested in this because they're thinking about alternative investments in this market, right? A lot of people are like, oh man, growth is not working. This isn't working. How can I think about other ways to generate money? So you have this big popularity uh, this year with, with this, this product. So what ends up happening is if you're the bank, what you end up doing is going out and issuing these notes. So synthetically, you're long volatility on these notes. But to hedge the risk, right? Because think about it like this. If you're a bank, you can't just be long volatility on everything, right? You'll bleed money for for long periods of time. So what the bank will actually end up doing is it will start hedging its risk. And the way that it'll hedge its structured products risk is by hedging the risk in the listed market side. So if they're long, let's say some like one year auto callable, the appropriate thing to do would be to go and sell one year volatility, on, on the index mm-hmm. level, right? Or a single stock level or something like that to offset it. Yeah. But yeah. what ends up happening is, and, and most recently, you've been noticing this more and more and more, some of these banks, instead of being what you call tenor neutral, right? Which which is the time neutrality where you say, I'm long one year vol, I'm short one year vol. Sure. What they will do is they'll create this synthetic calendar profile where they're saying, you know what? Maybe I'll sell a little bit of one month vol. Because I could take in that data a whole lot faster, right? Or a two-month vol or a three-month vol, right? And, and spread it across the buckets. So what you end up seeing is that there's suppressed vol in the front of the term structure. And that opens up the door to see these type of things where VIX is suppressed, vol of vol is suppressed, right? Equity vol from, a, from an absolute vol standpoint and the tails are suppressed. These sorts of things you'll, you'll, you'll begin seeing. And it kind of opens the door for that other move. Right. Where it's like, well, everybody's like selling vol in the front of the term structure. But if vol start to blow out, right, they're going to perform really well. So that's that's really the structure with that. Extremely interesting. I guess to clarify this point for a second, just to make sure everybody gets it, we should define how an auto callable product works. So what is the what are we trying to achieve when we get when we sign up for an auto callable product? Yeah, you know, I, I won't go into the, the deep the deep detail because there's some like contingencies that could be a little bit confusing, but it's it's very simple, right? It's like you almost have to think about it as a yield product where you say, okay, I want to collect X amount of yield. And, and and the way how this would work, again, generalizing, right, is like I go to you and I'm like, Alf, would you like to make 17% this year just as long as Apple, Amazon and Tesla don't drop? Uh, under 20%, right? And you'll have like a worst of auto callable. So I'll say like, as long as the worst performing name does not drop under this like 20% barrier that you have. And you'll say, you know what? That sounds like a great bet because I don't think that these names are going to drop 20 more percent from the level that they have come down already. And then, you know, you'll, you'll collect this sort of yield. So it's really a yield enhancing product for most, most people. And a lot of RIA, the, 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 the investment advisory world, will pitch this to their clients as an alternative investment. I see. So effectively, it's uh, to explain to, to people listening to us, it's a way to sell volatility and optionality on the downside of a, on a certain selected number of stocks. There are correlations perhaps as well involved into the equation. But the general idea is that if a certain selected group of stock doesn't drop below a certain threshold, you're able to cash in the basically the option premiums your way. And that's your way to generate yield out of this product. Now, if banks, of course, they cannot be exposed, as you explained, to all this 
short volatility or long volatility from their side. So they'll have to sell volatility back to the market to hedge their profile. And they do that, as you just described, instead of selling a one-year vol to match their terror of issuance of the odd callable product, they'll do it step by step. And as they do it step by step, they supply the market with volatility. And that's the reason why short tenors volatility, so the, the, the front end of the VIX curve basically has been so suppressed. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. The, the one thing that I would say, just to put a little asterisk on it, I wouldn't say that that's the the, the bulk, right? I don't want it, listeners to think that I'm saying it's because of the structured yeah. products issuance, right? It, it, there's a there's a few different factors that are contributing to it, but it is one. It's, it's definitely a, a key reason as to why you're seeing that. But the way how you describe that, that's that's absolutely it right there. You know, that's the way how the structure works. And and it's it, sorry to cut you off. It, it isn't it isn't something that we're just um, uh, having some sort of hypothesis on. If you look back during COVID, there are articles about banks that lost a lot of money because of the hedges that they were trying to hedge. Right. So so there are there are this has happened previously. Uh, and you're seeing little blips of it start to come back. I know of this very well from, uh, let's call it second-hand experience, um, having seen one of these trades with my eyes my, myself. But uh, Chris, let's talk about a situation in which either for, let's say there is a confluence of both macro situations where commodities don't work anymore as a hedge, people have to go and grasp the good old out-of-the-money puts, uh, short tenors in the, in the S&P 500, for example, as a hedge. Um, and maybe the autocollable industry also gets a little bit of a, you know, of a squeeze from that perspective as well. How do you see um, in, implied volatility? So basically the VIX, just to make it simple for our audience, how do you see the VIX evolving in a, in a worst case scenario where you get a confluence of these factors that are opposed as the one we have seen here to date? What will happen basically to the VIX? So my view, right, and, and I hate to come off as like this, like fear mongering, you know, <laughs> perma bear, because that's that's not really what we do, right? We're not, even though our hedge fund is there to have a big return when the markets crash, our view is that the majority of the time, the markets are not crashing, right? So, yeah. so, so, so I hate to come off like like some sort of a perma bear, but the reality, and, and you know, we wrote about this in our white paper, is that there's been a change in the derivatives market specifically. And if you think about the way how the VIX works, the VIX is just a calculation. It's a calculation of S&P options, right? Yeah. When you boil it down to its simple frame. So when you think about the fact that the growth of derivative exposure has expanded so much over the last three years, there's no doubt about it, right? Even, even when you eliminate the retail crowd, there are still more institutions and more market participants that are using options. And the way how we see it, and, and I know SIBO put out its Q2 numbers, you know, I was I was actually looking at those numbers yesterday. The we the way how we see it is that structurally that will have an effect on the way how VIX gets priced. Because think about it, there's more and more and more options being traded, and more and more and more people will look to aggressively hedge using options. Yeah. So synthetically, that should mean that 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 should have some sort of effect on the way how the S&P pricing and vols will move. And in our belief, we believe that during the next real market crash, I think you're going to see that number at a really, really high level, right? And, and it's important to understand that this is a market decline. 
But this is not a, a, like a true market crash, right? It took six months for the S&P to come down 20%. You know, I, I would constitute a crash as like down 20% in, in a month, right? Or, or something like that. That's a, that's a real crash. That's a real fear. And the thing with fall is you need that sort of exogenous event. You need that like fear to get, to, to get in. So I think the next time we see that, that real fear, and we haven't seen that fear since COVID, right? That, that, yeah. that fear has not been, you've had little blips of market activity, but not that real fear. I think the next time you see that, you will see the VIX over the level that it had previously set, just because I think the way how the microstructure has changed is going to impact the way how vols will price during the next real type of sell-off. Chris, are you referring to the VIX spike that we saw in 2020? Would you expect the next spike to be basically harsher than one we have seen back then? I think, uh, again, right, I, I don't want to come off as like a fear mongering, you know, but but I, based on the way how we see things, we think that that relationship will hold a little more uh, powerful, right? So if you had to factor in the same move, the same spot move, the same type of vol implications, I think you'll naturally see VIX pricing go higher than than what you what you saw during that that COVID uh, scenario. Well, I think on that note, we could conclude this interview. We, I think it's quite quite the headline. No, just kidding. But um, Chris, I hope that the audience here on Blockworks got a better understanding of why the VIX hasn't really spiked, despite having seen S&P down about 20%, which is a pretty decent drawdown. It's been spread over time. You are right, but we have seen drawdown. We aren't seeing any sign of capitulation of fear, especially in the VIX. And you have been very good at explaining why that is the case and how your company operates to make sure that portfolios are hedged in that situation. I just want to ask you, if people that are listening to this interview would like to find more about you in general, your work, your portfolios and everything else, how can they find you? Yeah, you guys could go to uh, ambersgroup.com or amberscapital.com uh, or you guys can follow me on Twitter. Uh, you know, I have my links on, on my Twitter. It's uh, at K-S-I-D. I, I, I. Uh, there's a lot of like fake accounts. So guys, don't 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 follow the fake accounts. I will never try to sell you anything or, or anything like that or, or, you know, tell you to sign up for 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 something. There's a lot of like fake accounts like that. But uh, yeah, you know, if you guys follow me, um, you know, there's there's links out there. If you Google us on our on our work that we've done in the volatility space. Um, and feel free to reach out. You know, we always enjoy uh, talking with, with investors. I can only recommend doing so. Uh, one final word from my side is that uh, many people in the industry, and I've worked at a pretty high level there, are actually very unkind. And Chris is the exact opposite. He's like the kindest guy you'll ever meet. So if you want to reach out to him, he'll always reply, he'll always be kind in explaining things to you. And his work is awesome, by the way. So feel free uh, to go and follow him. We'll put the Twitter link as well below, Chris, and the link to Ambrose so people can find you. Thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.